I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so we've been doing a Throne of Eldraine card by card series where I'm talking about the design of different Throne of Eldraine cards. And we are up to G. So we're going to talk about Gadwick the Wizened. So Gadwick the Wizened uh, costs X blue, blue, blue. So three, ma- three mana of which is blue, the rest is X. Uh, it's a 3-3 three, three legendary creature, human wizard. When Gadwick the Wise and enters the battlefield, draw X cards. Whenever you cast a blue spell, tap target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Okay, so this is part of the court leader cycle. Um, so obviously we were doing Arthurian legend. You had to do Merlin. Uh, that's definitely one of the probably best known things of Arthurian. Um, and we liked the idea that one of the courts, and the blue court made the most sense, was led by Merlin, was led by the, I mean, our version of Merlin, but was led by a wizard. Um, so I think the other four all are nobles, where we didn't, we, we just put human wizard. Because um, he's not, he's not a king or a queen. Um, he's not royalty. I mean, he, he does lead the blue court, but he leads the blue court because he's the most awesome wizard. Um, but anyway, uh... We had talked, uh, there's a lot of interesting conversations about what to do with Merlin. Um, I think at one point there was a planeswalker that was kind of filling in for Merlin, and we, we did a bunch of different things. Um, but in the end, we decided just to make him the leader of the blue court that allowed him to make a legendary creature, and mono blue made a lot of sense for a, a Merlin type character. Um, once again, because he's part of this cycle, uh, he has triple blue in his mana cost. I think last time I said that they're not. I think I implied with the white one that they're all triple triple mana, and that's all they are. They're at least triple mana. They can have other, like I, uh, Torvald, and others have other mana other than just the triple. But they all have at least a triple mana in it. And they all reward you for playing um, creatures of, the, of, of their color. This one, for example, lets you tap things when you play blue. Um, so, anyway, that is Gaz, Gaz, Gazwick the Wizened. Okay, so next... Is Garrison Griffin. So two and a white for a two-two Griffin. It's a creature. It's got flying. Whenever Garrison Griffin attacks, target knight you control gains flying until end of turn. So one of the things when you're doing tribal a tribal component is trying to find places where you can make tribal work. Uh, and so this is a good example of. Here's a card that we do from time to time. Normally, we'll make a, like a, a Pegasus or something, and the idea is that um, when it attacks, it, one creature gains flying, so it'll carry uh, the person. Uh, we sort of concentrated this because we concentrated just knights. It makes it a, you know we can, we can get a little more power out of it because it's a little narrower. But then it becomes a, a focused knight card, um, and the idea is I guess some of the knights ride griffins, and if you ride a griffin, then you can fly. Um, so anyway, I thought that was. I, it's interesting if you look at the set that the tribal component, the knight tribal, for example, is there. You definitely can build a knight deck, and we put it, like I said, in white, red, and black. But um, it is something, while it's there and something you can play, and you definitely can make a deck out of it, and you can draft it, uh, it's there if you want it. It's not kind of forcing your hand. Um, it really is designed to be something that you can opt into if you want to, but doesn't really require you... Um, you know, it's something that you can do if you want, uh, but it, it's sort of a choice that you, you play. Okay, next, Garrick, Cursed Huntsman. Uh, four black green, so six mana total, one, one of which is black, one of which is green. He's a loyal, uh, I'm sorry, he's a legendary planeswalker, a Garrick, obviously. Uh, loyalty five. 
and he has three abilities. Zero, create a 2-2 black and green wolf creature token with, when this creature dies, put a loyalty counter on each Garrick you control. Note it says each Garrick, so if you have multiple different Garricks out, he would put it on all the Garricks. Minus three, destroy a target creature, draw a card. Minus six, you get an emblem. Creatures you control get plus two, plus three, and have trample. So the interesting thing about Garrick has been, when we first made Garrick, Garrick was a mono-green card, and the shtick was he interacted with animals, especially bigger animals. Um, and so he would make animals, and he would boost animals. Then he got cursed by Liliana uh, with the Chain Veil in Innisrod, and um, he, uh, he um, gained black. And so um, black allowed us to give extra abilities to him that he did not have before. Um, you know, because now, now that he's a black-green thing. So, uh, like, for example, killing a creature is something that black-green Garrick makes sense in, but mono-green Garrick wouldn't make sense. Uh, and so this thing sort of has a nice flavor in that it, it's getting wolves, it's pumping the wolves, it can kill things. Um, but then also that the wolves themselves give you another way to, like, there's no, note that there's no positive, um, there's no plus ability on Garrick. If you want to make Garrick go up in loyalty you need to make wolves and have the wolves die. Um, notice you get two wolves, so you get to make two, two, two wolves. That's pretty potent. Every turn you get two, two, two wolves. And that their death actually does something that can be rewarded. So um, it allows you to sort of play black-green. Um, anyway, this is our last chance to do black-green, Garrick, because, uh, spoilers real quickly, at the end of the story he gets healed, he gets uncursed. So he goes back to being mono-green Garrick. So for people that are like, mono-green Garrick, he's back. Um, but this, this was our last chance to make a black-green Garrick, and so I kind of like what they were you know, playing with to do something that was um, really playing into the black-green. Also, oh, the other thing we were playing into, by the way, is the reason that Garrick's in the set is when we were doing fairy tales, he's the perfect huntsman, uh, and that, that is just a trope from fairy tales. Um, I mean, he even has an axe, so uh, that, it just made a lot of sense for, for Garrick to fill that role. And since we wanted him to fill the huntsman role... Because people were asking, why don't we? Why didn't we make Mono Green? Why don't we show him after he was uh, healed as well? We wanted to really get the Huntsman, and the Huntsman's a little dark. Um, you know, they're definitely there's a little bit of darkness to the Huntsman uh, archetype. So we thought a black green Huntsman made a little bit more sense. Also, since it's a Huntsman that you could kill things, and that we needed black in him to have an ability that lets him kill. So that felt a little more Huntsman-y. Okay, next Giant Killer uh, costs one single white mana. It's a human peasant, a creature, one, two, uh, and it has an adventure. You can chop down for two and a white instant adventure, destroy target creature with power four or greater. Um, so one of the things that we get to do with adventure cards is take effects that we normally put in um, and we could staple them onto creatures. So for example, killing large creatures, that's something white normally gets to do. But when you're trying to make an adventure card, we're trying to sort of make something larger and so the idea is we want to do Jack of Jack of the Beanstalk fame. Well, what is Jack known for? Killing the giant. So the idea that we thought was kind of fun is what if we make something... Jack is sort of, uh, in, in archetypal standpoint, a tricky one. That's sort of, you know, he's good at sort of tricking you. So we like the idea of making him the tapper and then connecting him with something that kills larger creatures. So that way... Um, it both gives you the sense of Jack and gives you a sense of giant killing, and then you combine them into one, which uh, definitely was sort of cool. Okay, next, giant opportunity. So two and a green, so three mana total, one of which is green, sorcery. You may sacrifice two foods, 
If you do, create a 7-7 green giant creature token. Otherwise, create three food tokens. Okay, so the idea here is that um, one of the things we said is that green and black were the food colors. Um, so the idea is for two and a green, um, if I already have food tokens, I can trade two of them in to make a 7-7 giant. Because the idea is that the, the, the... I'm not sure the food represents the beanstalk, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, you have the opportunity to get the giant. But if you either don't have it or, or just want more food, so you can essentially have three food. So it, what the card is, is two, two and a green get three food, but it allows you to trade in previous gotten food for a giant instead. And so I, I like, once again, black and green giving you utility with your food that does something other than just be food. Okay, Gilded Goose costs a single green mana for a 0-2 bird. It has flying. Uh, when Gilded Goose enters the battlefield, create a food token. Uh, and it has one green tap, uh, create a food token. Tap, sacrifice a food, add one mana of any color. So once again, this is what I was explaining uh, before. Green and black have the archetype of food mattering. So it has the cards which lets you do different stuff with food. Um, in this case, it allows you to get mana out of food. So you get the golden. So the golden goose is from Jack and the Beanstalk. Um, there also was a separate story, by the way, called the Golden Goose. Um, one of the things you find in fairy tales a lot of time is there's a story about the golden about the goose that lays the golden eggs, and then it got warped. You know, it got sorry swallowed into the Jack and the Beanstalk story. So most people now think of the Golden Goose as from the Jack and the Beanstalk story, but actually does have its own story, uh, its own fairy tale. Anyway. Um, so this card lets you make eggs, and the idea is the eggs are food, because they're eggs, or um, you can get golden eggs in which you then uh, you get the equivalent of money in magic, which is mana. Um, so you can get money or mana out of it. Um, I'm sorry, you can get life or mana out of it. Uh, the original version of, the, of, of, of this card um, created gold tokens. Um, this is before food existed as a thing. Um, the original version, you got to make gold tokens, and then gold tokens you could spend for mana of any color. Um, so, uh, but when we ended up making food tokens, we put the few gold tokens we had in the set, we took out. Uh, spinning wheel originally made gold tokens, and, and Gilded Goose made gold tokens. Okay. Okay, next. Gingerbread Cabin. So this is a land. It's a forest. Uh, so it taps to add G. To add green. Uh, gingerbread Cabin enters the battlefield tapped unless you control three or more other forests. When Gingerbread Cabin enters the battlefield untapped, create a food token. Uh, okay, so we did this common cycle. Uh, Dwarven Mine I talked about earlier within the cycle. So it's uh, a common land cycle. They come in tapped unless you control three of the appropriate land type. But they, are, they, are, they do have a land type. Meaning that if you, if you are able to search out for a forest, for example, I have a card that lets you search for a forest, I can search for this. And this card, in addition to giving me mana, also will, has an effect when you enter the battlefield, which is gives me food. So it allows me to, to get food. Um, these, I think the idea was we had a bunch of places that we wanted to do. Not like Gingerbread Cabin, obviously, straight out of Hansel and Gretel. Um, so we won an opportunity. There, there was just a lot of fun places. We wanted to do a monocolored cycle, a land cycle, a monocolored land cycle, 
Uh, and we liked the idea of we tied them to an enter the battlefield effect, something we had done in Zendikar that we haven't really done a lot with on lands. Um, and then we added the rider about how it's untapped if you have enough of that land type so that in a monocolor deck, it, it's really easy to use. And in a, in a multicolor deck, it gets a little bit harder. It's still possible, but, but it's a bit harder. Okay, next, Ginger Brute. One mana for a 1-1 one, one Food Golem. So it's an artifact creature. Uh, it's got haste. It's got one act, an activation of one. Ginger Brute can't be blocked this turn except by creatures with haste. And two and tap, sacrifice Ginger Brute, you gain three life. Okay, so Peter Lee, who was my strong second on the set, who um, he designed this card super early, like first week or two, I think. Um, so the original version of Ginger Brute just said Ginger Brute can't, it has haste. Ginger Brute can't be blocked uh, except by creatures with haste. That was the original Ginger Brute. Um, what we found was, uh, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed um, the idea. Like, this card uses haste in a way we've never done before. Normally, like, if I have haste, it matters the turn I play the card, and then it just doesn't matter. Having haste isn't a thing that really matters. Um, but now, it's like, oh, well, it could be later in the game, and having a haste creature means something. I, I think it's kind of cool. Um, I think... This was so. Gingerbread Man is you know catch me, catch me is if you can. Uh, you can't. Or, uh, what's the thing? It's, you can't catch me on the Gingerbread Man. Um, so, oh, chase me, chase me as fast as you can. You can't catch me on the Gingerbread Man. So the idea was the Gingerbread Man is hard to catch. So the idea of haste meant that he was fast, and then it can't be blocked by creatures with haste. Is well, you, you got to be as fast as him to be able to, to catch him. Um, I do understand the actual story. A fast creature doesn't catch him. He gets outsmarted by the fox, but. Um, anyway, I liked the, I liked the design quite a bit. Um, we fought uh, the entire time that the set was in both vision design and set design. There was a lot of ongoing question of, is a gingerbread, is the gingerbread man okay? Um, now we have, you know, we have artifact creatures in magic and we have things that are, uh, that are brought to life. So I think when Ginger Brute got made originally, he was red, um, I think he was, uh, once again, remember early on, we had the alternate cost. I think I think he started as red, or maybe he started as an artifact, then he turned red, and then he ended up going back to, to artifacts. Uh, the other thing that happened during uh, set design, well, two things happened. One is, we decided, and I think this happened during Vision, that he needed an activation to get his unblockability. It was a little too efficient. Um, so instead of just naturally having it, we made an activate ability that you can activate it to use it. So his unblockability requires a little bit of mana investment. The other thing, probably the cooler thing, is during set design, food got made. And they made food tokens. And then someone said, the gingerbread man, he, he's food, isn't he? And so they went and talked to Eli and said, can we make a creature food? And Eli said, yes, it's an artifact subtype. If it's an art, you know, as long as it's an artifact creature, yes, it can have an artifact subtype. So technically, by the way, food is an artifact subtype. Golem is a creature subtype. That is why, for example, there are certain things that we can't make into food because it's, if it's not an artifact, it can't be food. So, you know, if you want to make um, chicken egg or rook egg or something that isn't an artifact into food, you can't because it is not an artifact. Um, and then we added on the two taps, sacrifice a ginger brute, gain three life. So we, we gave it the food ability so that, in fact, it was food. Um, so it does what it does, but also you can trade them in if you want to eat them 
and get some life you can. Um, and so the the finished package of the card, probably my favorite card in the set. I just it's, it's so cute and so different, and it's one of the things I'm always looking for is a card that you can't you just can't make in any set, and a card that's endemic of the set that is in. And this card is like you're just not making this card anywhere but here, uh, and it is it is just a darling little card. It really is a uh, a cute card. Okay, next glass casket. One in a white for an artifact. When Glass Casket enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls with converted mana cost three or less until Glass Casket leaves the battlefield. Um, so the earliest version of this was um, back when we had alternate mana. So this was a white... This was, was, was always a white artifact. We knew we were doing more artifacts. We knew we wanted color. The earlier version of this gave you uh, alternate cost. So you, like, it was, you know, one W or four or something like that. Um back when we had alternative costs. Uh, I know when I... This was my social media preview. When I previewed this card, uh, some people were dismayed that this ability is something that people normally associate more with enchantments than artifacts. Uh, And my answer to that is abilities are not tied to... um, Or for the most part, if a color can do something, any card type of that color can do it. So, for example, if I'm allowed to flicker something... Well, in white, uh, I can make a sorcery, an instant, a creature, a planeswalker, an enchantment, or an artifact now that can do that thing. So the idea is the fact that so this ability, uh, what we call the Banisher Priest effect is what we call it, or, or Oblivion, Oblivion Ring sometimes. Um, I guess we call it Banisher Priest when it's not a creature. Uh, this is more Oblivion Ring because it's not a creature. But anyway, um, this ability, yes, we do it all the time on enchantments. We also do it all the time on creatures. Uh, and so a lot of people are like, oh, but now red, uh, red can get rid of it. Well, when we put it on creatures, red can get rid of it. When we put it on enchantments, red can't. It's not that red can't deal with this effect. It's red can't deal with enchantments. So things that enchantments do, red is a problem. But the idea of one of the things about the color is, and the reason we have access to a lot of different things is, we want to make a lot of different cards. Um, I mean, the reason, by the way, the reason this is what it is, is uh, Glass Casket is, well, there actually is a Grimm's Fairy Tale called the Glass, Ta- the Glass Casket, which has nothing to do with anything you know the Glass Casket. It's about a tailor that goes on an adventure and finds this, uh, I don't know if she's a princess or not, but some woman that's trapped, and she's not asleep, but trapped inside a glass uh, casket, and he frees her from it. Um, when Walt Disney was making Snow White, I think he liked the imagery of it and decided to use the glass casket just because it looked cool and it was very fairy tale-ish, uh, and he borrowed it. And because of that, most people associate the glass casket with um, Snow White rather than it being its own grim fairy tale. So when people ask us sometimes, do we do any, any deep cuts? Uh, this is actually based on a fairy tale that you don't know, but it is part of a fairy tale that pop culture is, let you, is associated with. So a lot of people go, oh... Um, so originally the card just you could do any creature. I think they ended up making it a little bit smaller just for balance purposes, and then the flavor was well. Not everything fits inside the glass casket. Um, I like this card. I have no problem with it being an artifact. Uh, there was a lot of discussions on my blog about this, and, and the point that I just made many, many times is one of the things is we're going to keep remaking magic cards. We're going to do a lot of the same effects again and again and again. And one of the things that makes magic really fun is that we can change up how we do basic effects. Look, if you want this on an enchantment, we've done it a million times on enchantment. You want it on a creature, we've done it on a creature. Well, here's an artifact now. So if, you're, if you have a white artifact-focused deck, now you have access to this where you didn't have before. And I think that, I think that is upside, not, not downside. 
Okay, next. Grumgully the Generous. One red-green for a 3-3 legendary creature, Goblin Shaman. Each other non-human creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Okay, so let me talk a little bit about the non-human. So, one of the things that we, um, for a while in the file, we were messing around with trying to capture the idea of something being um, magical. And uh, we... We, we, we did a bunch of different things, and then we finally decided that we, we split it up. So there's two themes in the set that sort of play in the space. One is uh, caring about enchantments or artifacts, since almost all the artifacts and enchantments in the set are magical in some way. And then we also decided that we the way to care about magical creatures is, well, the non-magical creatures tend to be the humans, and everything else is more, you know, the fey folk and stuff. And so we like the idea of rewarding you for not being... Um, human. And so we haven't done a lot of what I would call negative tribal before. Uh, but I thought it was a neat idea. It was very simple to say. It was pretty flavorful. Humans humans already are a mighty strong tribe. So sort of discounting them, I, I thought was kind of neat. Uh, and this card just sort of says, hey, um, this is meant to be... The red and green, I think, is where we put most of the non-human... Um, that's the archetype that plays with non-human mostly. So the idea is this is a build-around... I assume this is uncommon since it's a build-around. This is a build-around card to get you to consider playing non-human as a theme in draft. Um, And the idea is it just gives you a big reward, which is, oh, all your creatures are bigger if you're playing non-human creatures. And so it sort of encourages you to go, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't be playing humans. Maybe I should play more non-humans. Next, Happily Ever After. Two and a white, enchantment. When Happily Ever After enters the battlefield, each player gains five life and draws a card. At the beginning of your upkeep, if there are five colors among permanents you control, there are six or more card types among permanents you control, and or cards in your graveyard, and your life total is greater than or equal to your starting life total, you win the game. Okay, so this card, card started as the, the name Happily Ever After. We want to do Happily Ever After. I think we liked the idea of it being, an alter, being the alternate win condition. So the idea essentially is, and you win the game. That felt like a very Happily Ever After. Um... This went through all sorts of different uh, designs. In the end, it ended up being a, sort of a, a, a new version of the five-color card from Invasion, whose name I'm blanking on. But there's a five-color card from Invasion that's an alt-win that is similar to this. Like, oh, you need all the colors. But the idea is um, we like the idea of this being a white card, but yes, it, it goes in a, a multicolored deck because you need all five cards. Now... There's ways to get all five colors without actually having mana of all five colors. Uh, there's hybrid. There's a bunch of different shenanigans you can do. Um, but anyway, the idea was give you a win condition. We like the idea of sort of, hey, if you have everything, then you're happily ever after. You have all the colors. You have most of the card types. I think they said six. Because um, there's six main ones now. There's land, planeswalker, enchantment, artifact, instant, and sorcery. Yes, there's tribal, but we don't make tribal anymore. And um, um, and there's... Did I say planeswalker? I did not say planeswalker. So there's, there's land, creature, planeswalker, enchantment, artifact. Oh, there's, set, there's seven. So we only make you get six. There's seven major ones. So, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a break on one of them. Uh, we also had to care about what's in play on the graveyard because of instant and sorceries. Um, 
And then the life total is something a little bit different, but it's sitting in white. So the idea is not only do you have to get all the things in play and use all the different card types, but you also got to gain some life. So the challenge here is a little bit of a challenge, um, but to help put you in the deck, um, Eric really wanted to add some just something to just make it worthwhile playing it. And so the idea was, because it was happily ever after, Eric liked the idea of some universal reward. He goes, well, what if when it enters the battlefield, all players gain life, and then he wanted to have all players gain, draw a card. And so he came to us to talk about that, of how did the color, console of colors feel about universal card draw. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about it, and eventually the idea was, one of the reasons we're careful about white giving card draw is that white is the color for all the answers, but it doesn't have the greatest card flow. Uh, but the idea is, well, if everybody's drawing, yeah, you're drawing more answers, but other people are drawing more threats. And so we decided that it was something we want to play around with is trying some universal card draw. Um, we don't know how many cards we want to let you draw. Obviously, if you draw too many cards, it, 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 it undercuts the idea that, you know, it, there's not enough for us to even can use them. And so we have to be careful how many cards you can draw. The goal is not to do this as a repeatable thing. So we're, it's space we're messing around in. I teased that we were doing something. I shouldn't have, I guess, because people just got super excited and assumed it was some big thing, even though every time I talked about it, I stressed it was a small thing. Um, but anyway, that is Happily Ever After. So we will see uh, where happy, Happily Ever After takes us. Note that when we do stuff, we, we go very slow because we try things and try to get some audience response. So change can take a while to happen. So just a, a heads up that we're, we're messing around with this, but it is, it is not something that's going to change everything overnight. Okay, next is Hushbringer. So Hushbringer costs one and a white. It's a one-two fairy. It's a creature, obviously. Flying and lifelink. And it has creatures entering the battlefield or dying don't cause abilities to trigger. So essentially what it does is it shuts down what we call enter the battlefield triggers and death triggers. Um, white is the rule setting color. So one of the things we like to do in white, uh, especially stapled on creatures, is things that just change the nature of the game. Uh, and the idea is... Uh, often this is maybe a sideboard card or a metagame choice where I'm really worried about something. Now, playing this in your deck means that you can't take advantage or or it's harder for you to take advantage because if this is out, you can't take advantage of it. Um, but it's the kind of thing that we like. Um, the interesting thing about this card actually was the response to the art. So the art is definitely a little bit more um, less realistic, I guess, more symbolic. Um, and some people really, really liked it. Some people really, really didn't. So it was a very polarizing piece of art, which I, which I think is interesting. I mean, I, I like the idea that, um, you know, I like the idea that there is something for people to, like, I don't know. I, I like where we do things that make people sort of think about stuff, and I, I, I kind of like the art. I, I like us. In general, I've talked about how polarizing things aren't too bad. That if some people really love it and other people don't, but that the people that really love it can gravitate toward it. Okay, next. Inquisitive Puppet. Uh, costs one. It's an artifact creature, a construct, zero, two. When Inquisitive Puppet enters the battlefield, scry one. And then exile Inquisitive Puppet, create a one-one white human creature token. So the idea here is, this is Pinocchio. So Pinocchio's an Inquisitive Puppet. So he scries because he's inquisitive. He wants to learn things. Uh, and then, at some point, you can turn him from a zero-two artifact creature into a one-one human. Uh, it's... Acute enough. So the reason the exiles is because it's transformational. So we didn't want you like sacrificing him and then later bringing it back. And like, there's Pinocchio and the human Pinocchio. Oh, why are they together? Um, the other thing is, and this is a, a cute little design, is the idea that he's a zero-two creature, meaning 
he can't do as much damage, but he's hardier. But he turned him into a human. Okay, he, he, he now, you know, it's a 1-1, one, one, so he's not quite as sturdy. Like, he was a little sturdier when he was an artifact creature. You know, he can block a 1-1 one, one as an artifact creature and survive, where he can't do that as a human. He's a little more fragile as a human. But he's 1-1 one, one instead of 0-2. So there, there's a reason you might want the human, there's a reason you might want the puppet. So from a mechanical standpoint, both choices are interesting. And it doesn't... We, we went through a whole bunch of Pinocchio designs, by the way. Um... Uh, for a while, uh, well, the Pinocchio that Vision handed off, this was not the card we handed off, the card that Vision handed off was a blue, a blue artifact creature. Um, I'm trying to think what we, what we were... I mean, we had the same sort of thing of that eventually it could turn into uh, a human. Uh, ours was just, it was built a little bit differently. Okay, next, Insatiable Appetite, one in a green, instant. You may sacrifice a food. If you do, target creature gets plus, plus, plus five until end of turn. Otherwise, that creature gets plus three, plus three till end of turn. So the idea here is it's our giant growth. You can give creature plus three, plus three. But if you have food, remember black green is the food, the food archetype, um, you can sort of uh, feed the creature first. It'll buff up the creature. And so it lets you turn food into an extra plus two, plus two. Into the story, uh, five blue, blue, instant. So uh, seven mana total, two of which is blue. Uh, this spell costs three less to cast if an opponent has seven more cards in the graveyard and it's draw four cards. Uh, so the idea here is um, that it's a card that gets cheaper the later the game goes, because the later the game goes, the more chances there are to get cards in the graveyard. Um, note, by the way, essentially what this is doing is you get, you get a, a bonus if your opponent is at Threshold. Uh, threshold's a mechanic from way back in Odyssey that you got rewarded. Cards got better if you had seven more uh, cards in your graveyard. This is kind of opponent Threshold. Um, you, you have, I mean, you have some control of opponent threshold in the sense that you can kill their things and stuff. Um, you have less control of their threshold than your threshold. Um, and anyway, this was just a, a means by which to sort of let you late game have a little, what could be cheaper drawing. That you, if you have this in your hand, maybe, you know, if they have five cards in the graveyard, if you can kill a couple things or do some attacks that make them trade, then you can sort of push it over the line and, and get a little bit cheaper card draw. I also really like the art of this card. Uh, it is a very, a very pretty piece of art, so uh, I think that is cool. Okay, next, Joust. So Joust is a sorcery. costs one and a red, so two mana total, one of which is red. Choose target creature you control and target creature you don't control. The creature you control gets plus one, plus two until end of turn if it's night, then those creatures fight each other. So this card was originally a green card. We thought it was an... an um, a great place to do Night Tribal. Like, we, we knew we wanted a card called Joust. Fighting felt like the perfect opportunity to do Joust. And, oh, and then you can, and you can boost a Knight, so a Knight is better at Jousting. Uh, and we put this in green, because in a vacuum, that's where this card would go. But then we found out that the, the, when they made the five courts, they sort of divvied up what, who, who's at what court. And red, because they were trying to get an essence of red, is the court that has the feasts and plays the games, and they're, they're kind of the fun court. Uh, and so jousting just made a lot of sense, and the card of courage. And so the idea that you would joust at the red court made a lot of sense. And so um, the creative team said to us, goes, oh, you know, can we not do this in green? Green's not where the jousting is happening. So we said, okay, luckily, luckily, red is um, the secondary color for fighting, so we could do fight in red. Um, we ended, in order to make this feel a smidgen more red, we did plus two, plus one, rather than, I think the 
green card was in, you know, plus N plus everyone, what it was, plus two plus two, whatever. Um, so we were able to move this over to red, and so jousting is now in red. Kenneth's transformation, one in a green, so three, uh, two mana total, one which is green. It's an aura, enchantment aura. Enchant creature, when Kenneth's transition enters the battlefield, draw a card. Enchanted creature lose all abilities and is a green elk creature with base power and top to 3 3. Oh, this card. This was another card because this card in Happily Ever After probably caused the most discussions in Council of Colors. Um, we really wanted this card to be blue because this ability is a blue ability. Uh, and oh, so in the stories, spoilers, uh, Oko turns King Kenrith into an elk. That's why the king disappears, is he gets turned into an elk. Um, and we wanted to capture that on a card. Uh, I don't remember why. There was some reason why this couldn't be on a blue card. It had to be on a green card. Um, I don't know whether the, I don't know, whether the art had been done. and I, I, Something had happened in which, by the time the Council of Colors said, oh, this is a blue card, hey, Oko's green-blue, just put this on a blue card, we were told, oh, we can't. And so we went through a lot of discussion. Um... There's a card uh, that destroys a creature and then gives uh, its controller a 3-3 that's a breaking green. Eh, this is close to that card. Um, the, the one thing where we ended up letting it go, and I mean, it's, it's a pretty major bend, is that it's undoable, that you can turn something, but it can be turned back. So we, we begrudgingly said, okay, it's a, it's a pretty hefty bend. Uh, the fact that you can undo it, we said, maybe that's enough to make it not a break, but... I, in retrospect, we had all, I, I just wish this was a blue card. I, I don't... I mean, we, we sort of somehow got painted in a corner and, like, begrudgingly said, okay, it's green. But I, I, I don't like when we do that. Um, I understand we need to get the story point. The story point could have gotten across in blue. I, I don't know what... There was a breakdown in the process because we should have been able to say it needed to be blue and then go, okay, we'll make it blue. And that happened. And some weird thing happened where that couldn't be the case. So, anyway, not super happy about that. Okay, Kenrith, the Returned King. So it costs four and a white for a 5-5 five, five creature. Uh, it's a legendary creature, human noble, because he's the king. So he has five abilities. For red, for single red, all creatures gain trample and haste until end of turn. For one and a green, put a plus one counter on target creature. For two and a white, target player gains five life. For three and a blue, target player draws a card. And for four and a black, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under its owner's control. Okay, so this is the buy a box card. So we we like the idea that King Kenrith, because he was missing, was missing from the set. That's why he's the buy a box card. I'm not sure how many people got that, but we thought that was cute. Um, the reason it's all five colors is he he's leads over. He's not the leader of the White Kingdom. He's the leader of all five kingdoms, all five courts. Um, and so we liked the idea that he had access to all five colors because he leads them. Although, he's originally from the white court, so he's, he's mono-white. Um, we put the, the abilities in the order they are because they go from one mana, two mana, three mana, four mana, five mana. Notice that they still are in uh, the order of the color wheel. They don't start with the white, which is where a traditional start. We had a big conversation of whether we're supposed to start with the white ability and go white, blue, black, red, green, or start with the the ability that costs one and go one, two, three, four, five. We looked at both of them and the one, two, three, four, five just looked aesthetically better. Um, but yes, that, I mean, that's why it's in the order it's in. It has to do with um, how much it costs to do and it just looked a little better that way. When you did uh, white, blue, black, it just sort of felt like it was building up and then dropped down and just felt sort of weird. Um, anyway, uh, that is King Kenrith.
Okay, Knight's Charge. One white-black enchantment. Whenever a knight you control attacks, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So whenever they attack, you drain the opponent for one. Six white-black, so eight mana total, one of which is white, one of which is black. Sacrifice Knight's Charge. Return all knight creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Um, so this is one of the build-around uncommon cards. It really says, uh, like I said, knights run white, black, and red. This is the white-black build-around. It says, hey, go play knights. Uh, I admit that both these abilities, I mean, this card is a pretty, from a, an effect card, is very mono-black. Um, well, white does do life gain. Uh, black does drain. So, that, you know, I, I think they were playing around with the idea that black makes you lose life, because black can make you lose life, and white makes you gain life, but black also makes you lose life and gain life. So that part feels more black than white. And then the reanimating creatures, um, white does get reanimation. White gets usually small reanimation. Knights on average tend to be a little bit smaller. So both of these are things in which white has its toe in it, but there are things that black can do without white. So from a design standpoint, um, I, this is definitely one of those cards where it could have been bottle black. I mean, I know why it's white black. It's trying to encourage you to do stuff. We're really trying to make you build around. It's a little more aggressive than we would have done in mono black. So making it white black let us be a little bit more aggressive. But it, I, I do wish it had a little bit more whiteness to it uh, from a design standpoint. I, 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 I do I do I do I would like to see that. Okay. Next, Linden, the Steadfast Queen. White, white, white. Uh, so she's a 3-3 creature, a legendary creature, human noble, uh, vigilance, and whenever a white creature you control attacks, you gain one life. Um, so she is the queen of the white. She's the leader of the white court. She's the um, wife to King Kenrith and the stepmother of uh, Rowan and Will. Uh, this card caused a lot. So the interesting thing was this card was made to be a card very efficient in a mono-white deck. Mono-white decks tend to go wide and make a lot of token creatures. This is very good in that. Um, I, one of the complaints about this is how good it is as, as a commander. I, I don't know how good it is as a commander. I think it's a... In a mono-white deck, I think you'll play it in the 99. Um, I think you might play it as the commander. But I, I, given, this is probably a card that's going to show more in the, in the 99 in commander than in the commander slot. Um, it, one of the things was it was part of our cycle. This is the, the leader cycle. It needed to have three colored mana in its cost. It needed to care about creatures of, playing creatures of its color. Um, I do think this card is a lot more um, powerful than people think it is. I think people poo-pooed this card early on. And I think you'll see uh, that you're going to see this card get played. So, um, The other complaint about this card was in the novel, King Kenrith is able to do all five trials. I mean, he becomes leader of all the courts. And... Uh, Linden does four of them. They're like, hey, why does she have four activated abilities? Uh, and the answer is, um, we didn't know about, like, that. the story was written after the card file was done. The fact that, you know, um, Kate made a really cool book and there's a lot of fun flavors there, but we just, we have to build the set first. And at the time we were building the set, the novel had not been done. So we built, we built a Linden and she, I think it's a fine queen and definitely, hey, the white court wants to play her. You know, if you're playing Mono White, she's really good. Um, but couldn't reflect that aspect just because it didn't exist at the time we were making it. Okay, next! Love Struck Beast. 
Okay, Love Struck Beast costs two and a green, so three mana total, one of which is green. It's a 5-5 five, five Beast Noble. It's a creature because it's, it's a prince. That's why it's a noble. Love Struck Beast can't attack unless you control a 1-1 one, one creature. So it's Love Struck. He, he, needs, he needs a little creature with him to the, hopefully a, a beauty for the beast. Uh, and uh, it's an adventure card. So uh, Heart's Desire, green, Sorcery Adventure, create a 1-1 one, one human creature token. So the idea is he makes a little creature, a little human, that then allows him to attack. Um, so obviously this is Beauty and the Beast. And so we have the Beast, which is a 5-5 five, five noble. Um, it's a Beast noble. Uh, and then we have the little 1-1, one, one, which is supposed to represent uh, the beauty for the Beast. Um, but anyway, I, this is, uh, once again, the adventure cards let us do fun little packages. And this is kind of neat in that its adventure makes the thing it needs to be able to attack. So it's tied together thematically, but then creatively, oh, it's the beauty and the beast, which is um, beauty and the beast. Okay, next. Uh, Mad Ratter. Three and a red. Creature, goblin. Whenever you draw a second card each turn, create two 1-1 one, one black rat creature tokens. And it's a 1-2. Um, okay, so one of the things that we did in the set, another theme... Uh, which I think is a blue-red theme, is uh, second spell cast matters. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff going on. There was adventures, and they were trying to find a way to sort of reward red-blue. Red-blue is the spell colors. So the idea is, okay, in red-blue, um, we will make cards that say, when you cast your second spell, each turn there's a reward. This particular one rewards you with little rats, little one one, or little two little one one rats. So that's pretty potent. Um, there are a few other cards in the set that uh, make or care about rats. I know there's the Pied Piper, for example. Um, but anyway, this just allows you to um, play in the space of caring about... This is meant for the blue-red deck when you draft. Um, I mean, you can play it in mono-red or other colors. You will sometimes cast a second spell. Um, but it, it can be optimized in blue-red. Hey, I, it's raining. I don't know if you can hear the rain, but it's raining today. So you guys get extra podcast. You get extra content because everybody slows down in the rain and drives very slow, which is good. Uh, Merchant of the Veil, two in a red. Creature, human peasant. It's a two, three. For two in a red, discard a card, draw a card. And then it is Haggle. It's a gun adventure. Haggle, red, a single red, instant adventure. You may discard a card if you do draw a card. So the idea is this is the merchant who Jack trades the cow for the magic beans is, I think, the flavor. Um, and the idea is we're using uh, um, rummaging as a flavor for trading. I can trade this card for that card. Um, so the spell lets you rummage and then the creature lets you rummage. So this is one of the ones where they just kind of get tied together. Um, the idea is I can rummage early on for one mana and then once I have enough mana I can play this card that lets me continually rummage. So the merchant's all about, about trading. Trading one card in for another. Okay, next, Midnight Clock. So this is an artifact, two and a blue, so three mana total, one of which is blue, so it's a blue artifact. Uh, tap, add blue. Two and blue, put an hour counter on Midnight Clock. At the beginning of each upkeep, put an hour counter on Midnight Clock. When the 12th hour counter is put on Midnight Clock, shuffle your hand and graveyard into your library, then draw seven cards. Exile Midnight Clock. Okay, so uh, if original Magic had a card called Time Twifter, which did this effect. Although it did the effect for everybody, not just for you. Uh, this card just does it for you. So obviously we're playing in Cinderella space. Oh, well, um, 
she could enjoy the ball until the last strike of, uh, you know, of midnight. Um, and so we wanted to capture that. So the idea here is we made sort of the clock, if you will. Um, I think we called it midnight clock to really hammer home the uh, Cinderella connection. Um, and the idea is in 12 turns, you will get to, well, it, it costs three mana. It's, it produces mana. So you, could, you might want to play it just because it produces mana. It's something that you might want in your deck. Um, and you might put in your deck just for that. But as a side effect, it's like, okay, in 12 turns, I'll get a refresh my hand. Um, and I have some ability to speed that up because I can spend mana to add counters. Um, so without doing any mana, it'll happen in 12 turns, but with some mana. So whenever I have extra mana, um, it allows me to sort of chip in and speed up the clock. Uh, and then, ding, 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 midnight happens. And uh, I guess in, our, in, in, uh, in, in, in Eldraine, the, the, the clock striking midnight is more good for you than bad for you. So. Okay, next, Mirror Maid, one blue, blue, so three mana total, two which is blue, it's an enchantment. You may have Mirror Maid enter the battlefield as a copy of, of, of an artifact or enchantment on the battlefield. Uh, so, it's interesting, I guess they made an enchantment from a flavor standpoint. Once it hits the battlefield, whatever it's copying, if it's enchantment, it becomes enchantment, it's an artifact, it becomes an artifact. So really, I mean, I guess in other zones it's an enchantment, but in play, it'll be whatever it's copying. Um, we've done things that copy artifacts before, we've done things that copy enchantments before, I think this is the first one that copies either. As I said earlier, we had a, a, a little mini theme that shows up in, I think, white-blue that is caring about artifacts or enchantments that's playing that, mis- you know, caring about magical things. Uh, like I said, we had a thing called Mystical for a while that was artifact, enchantment, or fairy. Uh, and we ended up just condensing it down to artifact or enchantment and didn't, didn't, uh, didn't batch it or, or keyword or anything. Um, this is playing in that space. Not that it's not universally useful, um, there's lots of there's, there's more artifacts than normal in the set, so being able to copy artifacts is good. There's plenty of enchantments as well, so this just gives you uh, the ability to do something that Blue has done before, but in a, a little more efficient way uh, than it has been done. Okay, next, Mystic Sanctuary. So Mystic Sanctuary is an uh, an island, it's land. Uh, taps for Blue, obviously, because it's an island. Mystic Sanctuary enters the battlefield tapped unless you control three or more other islands. And when Mystic Sanctuary enters the battlefield untapped, you may put target instant or sorcery cards from your graveyard on top of your library. Um, okay, so this card, I think, represents uh, Merlin's Hangout, I think, is what this is. Um, he had his own little tower that he hung out in. I, I think this is what this is representing. Um, anyway, the idea is it plays in Blue's Desire to get you get back an instant or sorcery. It puts it on top of your library, so it's not card advantage. You don't get to draw a card, um, but it does let you take effective things and put them back so you can use them again, and so that can be quite uh, powerful. Um, of the lands of the cycle, this is the one that I've heard the most buzz around. Uh, we'll, we'll see how good it is, but it definitely is a fun, a fun spell. A fun and flavorful spell. Okay, next, sorry. Just check in the rain. Okay, next is Oathsworn Knight. So Oathsworn Knight costs one black black. It's a zero zero human knight creature. It's a human knight, it's a creature. Uh, Oathsworn Knight enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on it. Oathsworn Knight attacks each combat of Abel. If damage would be uh, dealt to Oathsworn Knight while it has a plus one plus one counter on it, prevent that damage and remove a plus one plus one counter from it. 
So uh, one of the tropes of um, Arthurian legend is the Black Knight, which is a knight that just is very hard to stop. And no matter what you do, he, he keeps on advancing. Um, he's probably better known from um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, so when we were making a Black Knight, eh, we thought, let's play into that and make a creature that just, no matter how much you damage it, it keeps not stopping. It, it's just unaware. Um, I mean, the idea, by the way, is the, the, the mystery of the Black Knight was something that just you would damage it and keep on fighting. I, I think Monty Python had fun with that trope. I mean, they didn't invent the trope. The idea of the Black Knight that you can't stop that keeps advancing is from Arthurian legend. But they really had fun with it. And so, since players obviously knew of the trope, and probably the most famous place they knew the trope of was um, Money Python and the Holy Grail, we, we definitely um, played into that. Uh, and the idea of, you know, it, it takes four strikes to strike it down. So you got to chop off both of its arms and both of its legs. So I thought, I thought that was pretty funny. Okay, next. Oko, Thief of Crowns. Okay, so this is one green-blue. So it is a uh, Planeswalker, obviously. Costs three mana, one green, one blue. Uh, legendary Planeswalker, Oko. Uh, he comes in play with a loyalty of four. Uh, plus two, he creates a food token. Plus one, target artifact or creature loses all abilities and becomes a giant green elk creature with base power three, three. Base power toughness three, three. Uh, minus five, exchange control of target artifact or creature you control and target creature and opponent controls with power three or less. Okay, so he's a trickster. So they wanted to sort of play into his trickster nature. Uh, the idea was to give him food uh, up front so that later on you can exchange the food for things. He also can turn things into an elk because that's what he does with the king. So like he can transform things and change them or he also can make people exchange stuff. And the idea that he can make a food is later when you're exchanging things, you can exchange a creature or an artifact. So the idea is, well, I can give you my food and I can take your best smaller creature. It's got to be um, uh, three or less, a uh, power three or less. So I can take your smaller creature, but I can, I can trade you food for your smaller creature. Um, it also allows you, by the way, uh, if you really want to trade something for Jack's cow, um, there's not a lot of ability to trade for cows in this game. But Oko's ability does let you trade you can trade food, which you can think of being as magical beans, for the cow. Uh, I'm not saying that's a great um, gameplay thing to do, but it is an awesome fairy tale thing to do. So um, if you are just dying to have that moment where you trade magic beans for a cow, Oko can let you trade food for the cow. So I thought that was cool. Okay, next. So I'm almost to work. We, we've been, uh, thanks, thanks to the traffic, you get extra, extra today. Okay, once upon a time. Okay, once upon a time costs one and a green. It's an instant. If this, is, if this spell is the first spell you've cast this game, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. That's free. Uh, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a creature or land card from among them and put it on, into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So this card started. We knew we wanted to do uh, once upon a time. Um, we knew we wanted to be something that you did at the beginning of the game thematically. Um, I think the earliest version was like a, um, what's it called? Like a, a ley line, where just, if you had in your opening hand, you just got to play it for free. It was an enchantment originally, I think. Um, and then I think set design came up with the idea of, well, what if it's free? We can make it a spell, but it's free if it's the first spell you've cast. And the idea is green has this thing that it digs in the library looking for things. Well, okay, what if we gave you that? What if we let you, you know, sort of, um, 
what Arnie calls impulse, you know, impulse for a creature or land. It's something green can do. And the idea is, well, you can put it in any deck if you want, but if you don't, if it's not the first thing you cast, then it's dead in your deck if you're not playing green. So, yeah, it's free, but it's dangerous to put it in a non-green deck. So that, that is why um, we let you cast it for free um, if you are the first person, if it's your first spell. Okay, Opportunistic Dragon. Two red, red. It's a 4-3 dragon. It's got flying. When Opportunistic Dragon enters the battlefield, choose target human or artifact an opponent controls. For as long as Opportunistic Dragon remains on the battlefield, gain control of that permanent. It loses all abilities, and it can't attack or block. Okay, this is probably number three discussion uh, in Council of Colors. This is another card where red is allowed to steal things. Um, Normally it steals creatures, and normally it steals them temporarily. Um, It has stolen artifacts temporarily. So this is, I mean, one could argue it's temporary and that when you get rid of the dragon, you get it back, but it's a little more permanent stealing than red gets. Um, the flavor is of the dragon that hoards things, and in, um, in fairy tales, both there are, well, in Arthurian legend, I think there are dragons that hoard treasure, and then in fairy tales, there are dragons that kidnap, uh, usually princesses, but um, kidnap people, um, and then hold them hostage. And so we were trying to play in that trope, we thought we could do both the horde stealing dragon and the sort of the princess kidnapping dragon all in one. Um, it did require doing a little bit of a bend. Once again, it's not that red can't steal things; it normally just doesn't do it as long. The other thing that was a little bit different was that it doesn't it doesn't let red use the creature. Normally, when you steal it, you can then use it. So here it said, okay, the trade off is you can take it for longer than normal, but we're not going to let you use it. You can't attack or block with it. So the idea is. Okay, the trade-off for getting... And the flavor is I've kidnapped the thing. Well, either I'm hoarding, I'm hoarding artifacts or I've kidnapped a person. And so in that case, I don't want them running around. They're not working for me. Um, I, I've just kidnapped them. And so we, we decided to make that trade-off. Um, once again, this is one of the bends where we're not really undermining... Not really undermining red, per se. It's not like red has huge problems dealing with creatures. It can blow creatures up and stuff. And it does get temporarily steal things. So... This is kind of playing in a little different space for red. It's not something that red's going to do a lot, but after talking it over and talking through the flavor, you know, and sort of looking at what it's doing, it's a really flavorful card. It was a lot of fun. It made sense here. Um, it sort of crisscrossed an Arthurian thing with a fairy tale thing, which is kind of cute. Um, and more so than anything, it wasn't undercutting red. You know, one of the things we look at for Benz is are you undercutting? Are you playing into the weakness or something? Like, Kendra's Transformation is a much more of a problem because it's specifically playing into a green weakness where, look, red can deal with creatures. It's not like, oh, how do I deal with creatures? I have no way to deal with creatures. Yeah, I blew creatures up. Red is way else to deal with creatures. It's not a major problem for red. So this, we decided, was flavorful, but, but doable and acceptable. Okay, is that the last? Oh, I think it is. Um, no, there's not, but uh, I had a lot to... I'm, I'm going to stop here just because I want to make sure I have enough cards for... I think I have one more podcast to do. I'm, I'm hoping I can get done one podcast. Anyway, uh, thanks for the rain today. You guys got your extra content. So I uh, hope you enjoyed it. A little longer podcast than normal today. Uh, but I have a lot of cards to get through. So probably that was all for the best. But anyway, I'm, I'm now here at work. So we all know what this means. means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.